is this? Sailor Ripley. Can I, um, talk to Lula? <laughs> There's no way in hell that you want to talk to her. If you even think about seeing Lula, you're dead. What? You heard me. And don't you ever call here again. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only got one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined by Jajmeen Betancourt to talk about Diane Ladd's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1990 film Wild at Heart. Jajmeen, good to have you on the podcast. Hello. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is, this is going to be a very fun conversation a very interesting conversation yeah. a very interesting movie yeah it's a, a very it's a very uh, fascinating movie especially in the context of david lynch's filmography yeah exactly so uh tell me a little bit about why you picked this movie in particular i mean obviously there's a lot to talk about uh, <laughs> uh i think uh because i I I love the uh, David Lynch. David Lynch is uh, one of my favorite directors. And when you you uh, presented the list of films for me to choose, uh, While at Heart uh, was uh, an obvious choice for me to to pick. And uh, I actually have a very interesting relation relationship with this film uh, because. Uh, it was one of the first David Lynch films I, I watched and it's, uh, I really connected with it. I, I think, uh, so when, when, uh, when I saw it in the list, it was like, it, it's, it's this one. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I think it's, it's also interesting because, um, in the context of the, David Lynch is a very beloved, uh, filmmaker and, um, but I think that while at heart, uh, usually is a bit, uh, uh, underrated in that, uh, because it's, I think it's such a good filmography that it, it can pass unnoticed or, or less noticed in, in how great the, the filmography is. And personally, it's a film that, uh, I like a lot, uh, and, it's probably for me. It's on the top five. Maybe it's him and yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen it in a while. It had been probably about maybe five years or so since I watched this, and yeah. I was watching it as and for at least for the first hour, I was like, man, this movie easily like is up there in the range yeah. like along with all of his other movies it like yeah starts out really strong and it, it's not that it mm. like falls it i mean it meanders but it's not that's not a bad thing yeah. just i forgot how solid that first set yeah. of this movie i think i think the meandering is sort of the the point also of the film because it's sort of a, a portrait of this weird portrait of uh, America, like uh, usually these kinds of road uh, movies are uh, portraits of America and it's this is sort of uh, David Lynch take of a road movie and uh, uh, 
of that the spirit of America in, in a sense. Exactly. exactly. So I'm going to do a little breakdown of what the movie is. We are talking about Wild at Heart from the year 1990, written and directed by David Lynch, based on the novel Wild at Heart by Barry Gifford, starring Nicolas Cage, Laura Dern, Diane Ladd, Harry Dean Stanton, Willem Dafoe, Isabella Rossellini, J.E. Freeman, and a slew of cameos from mostly actors that were on Twin Peaks or about to be on Twin Peaks, like Sherilyn Fenn, Cheryl Lee, Francis Bay, David Patrick Kelly, Jack Nance, Grace Zabriskie, and, uh, and then also John Lurie and Crispin Glover for like a scene each. It's a yeah. pretty big ensemble cast of people that show up for like a scene or two outside of like the main five or six people. Yeah. It premiered <laughs> May 19th, 1990 at the Cannes Film Festival and then opened in the U.S. on August 17th, 1990. So yeah, that's a that's the movie we're talking about. A very interesting. I I'm very excited to see yeah. where the conversation goes because there is not exactly a uh, um. What am I trying to say? We're not going to be left wanting for things to talk about. I'll say that much. There's there's a lot. Uh, but why don't we start off talking about the nomination that this movie got for one Miss Diane Ladd. So uh, tell me, tell me your yeah. initial thoughts on this performance that she gives in this movie. I think it's uh, a very interesting performance, and I think uh, it, it's probably one of my favorite characters in uh, David Lynch characters because she's sort of. Uh, I think she's very, uh, usually in David Lynch films. The evil characters are men, and this, I think uh, uh, her character is the only female evil character in, in his films. So uh, it's uh, interesting in that way. And I, I think for me, uh, what attracts me so much for her performance is that it's, uh, I think in, in a way it's uh, kind of a camp performance. It's very theatrical, very exaggerated, and you kind of, uh, she's, she's like this very evil character, but you can't help but love her in a way. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a very big, it's a performance yeah. that really swings for it. Uh, yeah. Pretty much. Like all, 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 her, all her scenes, uh, uh, there is a particular scene that, uh, from the first time I watched the movie, that became engraved in my mind. Uh, uh, and actually, when rewatching it, I, I was surprised that it wasn't like a longer scene because the way that I imagined it, it, it was a longer scene. Uh, it's this scene that she paints her her face red, and and it's uh, she's on on her on the phone, and uh, it, she's all angry, and it's a really intense scene. <laughs> yeah, that's like. If you come away from this movie with one image that sticks in your mind, it is Marietta Fortune just like screaming at the camera with her face covered in lipstick. It is, yeah. it's like right up there with like the most disturbing of David Lynch face imagery. He's very good yeah. at being just very slightly off human faces be the most terrifying thing in the world. Uh, yeah. And this is definitely up there with those, with like, the way he shoots, um, oh, why am I forgetting his name? But the mystery man in Lost Highway. Or yeah, yeah. 
any of like the close-ups of uh Laura Frank Booth in, in yes Frank Blue Velvet yeah or like even like any of like the close-ups of Laura Palmer in Firewalk with Me oh uh, yeah where she has like the flash of screaming yeah. at uh, Harold or I mean any like Bob in Twin Peaks is like yeah. the ultimate example of making just a kind of regular human face the most yeah. terrifying thing you can imagine. And he does that here just by putting lipstick on Diane Ladd. You would never yeah. like watch Diane Ladd in a movie and think, oh, this is like potentially the embodiment of all human evil is this, you know, yeah. little Diane Ladd. But no, this yeah. movie, she is just awful. And, and, I, and I, th- I think in... in uh, um, this thing about Lynch, which is that he is able to portray such evil and such violence in a way that is very subtle, and uh, and uh, through that it makes more uh, make it makes it more disturbing. And I think that. Uh, Dynlet's performance works really well for to emphasize that um, the that uh, violence that, that very subtle violence that is present in this uh, in these films. Yeah, uh, there's a scene pretty early on. It's just like a singular shot of her, where I don't even remember what the lead up is. I think it might be when she's talking to probably Harry Dean Stanton or the hitman guy that she's been flirting with, whose name I forget now. Uh, but Marcelo Wallace. Uh, yes, Marcelo Santos. Yeah. Santos. Uh, Santos uh, Wallace. Is, and then... <laughs> yeah. But uh, the shot ends with her like curling her fingers and like menacingly sipping her drink directly at the camera. And it's just yeah, like, yeah. something about that action, something about the way that she just does that it's i mean this movie is certainly very uh ripe with wizard of oz imagery that was a very common yeah. choice on david lynch's behalf he added that that wasn't really in the original story from what i uh, yeah it was added by by david lynch but like she is like very clearly the sort of wicked witch of this story she's often yeah. you know a southern sort of mother equivalent of the witch's castle quite literally she does cover her face in red yeah and it's like sort of the yeah it's, it's wicked witch. yeah yeah the, the, that's what i i thought i, I was i connected that so that the, she paints the her face red and it's sort of that uh the green face of the wicked witch of the west in in the wizard of Oz. yeah after uh, the east, east. Yeah, it's very much sort of the uh it's kind of, like that's maybe the best uh, performance that you can really draw it back to in terms of comparing it to any other performance in any other movie because she's like she's really going for it and it does feel like almost like a storybook type villain. She's yeah sending all of these hitmen and criminals after her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend because she doesn't like the daughter's boyfriend. And it's a whole web of interconnected sort of crime and stuff, but like yeah, and yeah, and I think it, that's what makes her performance kind of um, uh, n- not very uh, obvious uh, an Oscar for like an Oscar performance, Oscar nominated performance, because it's 
so campy and so uh, kind of, uh, you know, fantastical in a way that it's, it's not really a performance that I would say that would attract attention from the academy because it's so out there. Yeah. yeah, especially an academy that didn't vote for uh, the aforementioned Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet, which was like yeah. a performance that was getting a lot of uh, buzz and a lot of attention on him. Uh, and then yeah. we, we'll get into it when we talk about David Lynch at the Oscars and his very strange yeah. history with the Oscars. But I always have thought it's that it was pretty fascinating that Hopper missed out on that nomination, but that Diane, La- Diane Ladd did end up getting this one. Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, probably I think Hopper is on like another level just because that's such a particularly layered performance. But like, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't take away this Diane Ladd nomination if it meant that Hopper got his. Like, this is... Yeah, really I think, I think uh, uh, this... Uh, uh, um, Marietta is, is a very layered uh, character and very... She's, I think she's very interesting because um, sort of the, the whole movie, Wild at Heart, is kind of about these young people trying to live... Uh, this sort of liberated sexuality and the whole movie is very sexual. I think it's uh, in a way uh, the most uh, sexually liberated film that David Lynch made. Uh, And uh, you can feel in the the whole imagery, the cinematography is very, uh, the colors are all very um, uh, uh, red and orange. Uh, so it gives that sexual that yeah. sexual aura of the the film, and she's sort of this um, oppressive presence. This sort of uh, um, although she, she's like a female character, she's she kind of embodies this sort of patriarchal uh, imposition on um, uh, the the main character's sexuality, and that makes her. Um, a very interesting character. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's called back later in the movie. It's not the first thing that happens, but it's sort of the progenitor to the opening scene of the movie where she like sees Sailor, uh, Nick Cage's character. Yeah. Uh, in so- at, I don't even know what event they're at, but they're at some public like... Yeah, I think like, it's a, a ball or something. Yeah, and she like she like follows him into the bathroom and corners him in a stall and I couldn't quite tell if she was actually propositioning him or just using that as like a cover because she's threatening him because he knew what happened with her husband and when they killed him but like you're it's there's definitely a sort of I mean wicked sexuality and also crudeness to her character all at once like yeah the use of lipstick to conceal her face is there's definitely a loaded sort of uh presence to that yeah she has a very sort of almost sweet relationship with uh harry dean stanton and the way that the two of them get along is like it feels almost like the two of them are married until you find out that she had been married and her husband got killed by her and uh, uh, Marcella Santos and that Harry Dean is just this sort of 
hapless private investigator that she's been stringing along. But like they have genuine chemistry between the two of them that is so out of place based on everything that we've seen from her up until that point and then everything after the fact. That one scene of the two of them where she's convincing him to go after them uh, but also like just being kind of kind of romantic with him it's a it's a strange section but it does yeah. right it adds a, another layer to her that we don't see otherwise yeah she she she's uh, in a way kind of a, a contradictory uh, character she she has these um impulses uh, these uh, uh, sexual and romantic impulses but she tries to also be controlling of uh lulas uh, Laura Dern's character uh, um, sexuality and uh, well, what she does and, and everything. She, she's kind of uh, an oppressive uh, character, but she also she's also kind of um, in a way also um, in sort of a web of oppression uh, in her relationship with. Marcelo, she's also kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, oppressed in a way. Yeah, I mean, like, the whole plot of this movie is that she tries to have a sailor killed, and then when the two of them run off, she's just, basically, it's just that she doesn't want him to be messing around with her daughter. Like, that's the basic premise of it, is that she's trying to sort of protect this innocence that or perceived innocence of lula even yeah. though i mean we find out at some point that lula's innocence is not exactly intact uh and she dealt with that when that happened too when she was younger but yeah uh, the, the 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 film is is very um uh the way that it deals with sort of um female uh um or male violence against the women's bodies is, is very if it's uh, that is dealt with in a very effective way and will really uh, hits you and uh, and and uh, uh, I guess that um, well the, the the whole movie it's, it's about that uh, uh, conflict between uh, um, that uh, imposition of the the this violence and this trying to be, become liberated. Yeah, exactly. This is, I mean, this is probably David Lynch's in general most violent movie, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I I think I actually uh, thought about that. Like right in the first scene, uh, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> bashes the, the these guys' heads in, like, the, the floor, and you see, like, the, the brains coming out. Yeah, and slapping scalp yeah. in the back of the head. Yeah. Gross. And then there's the whole shootout scene later at the bank, yeah. which has some pretty gnarly yeah. effects, but, like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah the uh, uh, Willem Dafoe uh, shoots his, his head off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he sure does. Um... But yeah, like... and, it, it, and then I actually read an, an article about that. That uh, the, the film is, uh, in a way, has sort of this uh, innocent um, sort of aesthetic. This whole 
the the whole Wizard of Us uh, comparisons, like it's very very fairy tale ish, uh, but it's also very violent. So it's all this whole contradiction, and it, I think that's what makes it also very uh, fascin fascinating. I mean, that's kind of been David Lynch's thing his whole career is the sort of yeah. innocent schoolboy, boy scout, fairy tale look at some pretty dark, yeah. violent, and... Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, even uh, like Twin, Twin Peaks, you, the, the, you have well, Laura Palmer that is this supposedly innocent girl, and then uh, there is this whole dark world behind it. Yeah, no, like, I guess I, I hadn't thought about that, about how... I mean, this is, even though he is a very violent director in a lot of his movies, or his movies portray violence and in some pretty gruesome and unique ways, they don't always have a lot of blood that I can... Yeah, think. I think, I think the, that the, the thing that most, uh, it is so shocking about David Lynch films is that um, his violence isn't really very graphic, it's more of a, 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 a subtle violence, a more atmospheric violence. And there's actually a scene that I always think about in Wild at Heart, uh, when uh, uh, that portrays this, it's the scene when uh, Willem Dafoe's character is trying to take advantage of uh, uh, Lola, uh, and he, he enters their um, uh, bedroom in that, hotel uh, motel and uh, uh, he's like um, telling her to ask her, ask him to, uh, to uh, like he's, he's trying to yeah. uh, like he's, he's saying like say fuck me fuck. yeah he's, he's sort of like whispering it and yeah. it, like, it, and like, it, it's it's uh, she's resisting and uh, that scene it's uh I don't know. There, there's something about that that it is so um, violent, and 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 I, I was pretty disturbed by it when I uh, first watched it. It it really struck with me. And, and the the thing is, when she's uh, almost uh, giving in, he like he releases her and yeah. and goes away. And and it's uh, it's like uh, I think it's. it's it's so strange, and uh, and I think it's that of, uh, that violence that uh, is there, but uh, it's at the same time it isn't there because nothing is really happening. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I guess it's it it um, it also shows how uh, violence can psychological violence can be more uh, traumatizing and more disturbing than you know, more physical kinds of violence. Yeah, and then when that ends, right, is that the scene where it ends and then he leaves and she, uh, like, clicks her heels together? Like, she that, that's where yeah, that... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's kind of the encapsulation of that sort of Boy Scout uh, approach to violence because the way that it ends is that she sort of gives in to the sexually violent proposition yeah. and then immediately is made to feel just completely guilty for it and that's i think how a lot of david lynch movies approach that sort of violence is that you feel guilty more than you feel 
personally like traumatized by it, I feel. Uh, and that yeah. also ties back with uh, the whole lipstick thing because that's her reaction. Isn't that her reaction to finding out that Marcelo Santos is on the trail, not just of Sailor and Lula, but also of Johnny Farragut and that she has now sent her lover off to eventually, as we find out, get killed. And her reaction is to like falsify like this yeah. bloodied sort yeah. of look. Yeah, and it's interesting because she starts off like uh, sort of doing this uh, motion of like cutting her wrists, but with her lipstick, like it's the first pl- uh, place where she sort of paints is her wrists. And I think it's the, that scene when uh, Marcelo Santos uh, tells her that that um, she's about uh, uh, he's about to go hunt down uh, Harrison Stanton, and uh, she starts like covering herself in uh, lipstick, and and then she she uh, has this like uh, moment where she goes to the bathroom and uh, throws up. Uh, and yeah, it, it's all very like. I mean, it's very coded. Like the whole, she's covering herself in lipstick. She's she's seeking that sort of aesthetic, uh, yeah. like simulation of love. She's like, yeah, trying to kiss herself to make herself feel better. She's, but also trying to cut herself to make her feel better. Yeah, but she's doing it with this symbol of like very gaudy. Like it's not like a subtle red. It's like the brightest yeah like, dollar store. Crayola red sort of uh, color. It's 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 a very sort of lurid shade. Yeah, it's it's so, it's, it's also very uh, it's very lustful red. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting look at this woman being the sort of you know like the the archetype sort of of the uh, like the. Uh, somewhat older housewife. I mean, obviously she's not a housewife at this point, but who has these sort of lustful urges that she's repressing. Yeah. And he sees in her daughter, the, the new generation that's more free. More, yeah. I, I guess, open. I guess she, she, she kind of represents that, uh, you know, an American housewife that is, has uh, repressed her sexuality and uh, stuck in, in this, um, in this life, and she's trying to control her her daughter, and, and she sees her daughter having a more free uh, expression of sexuality as sort of a threat to her. Yeah, and like the the interesting thing about that dynamic between the two of them is that we don't, I don't even think we have any scenes of the two of them interacting of Marietta and Lula. Do we? Is there any moment where uh, like, two of them the, are uh, there is there is a, uh, uh, this moment in uh, when um, Sailor is arrested uh, after oh, yeah. the, the whole shootout. She like she arrives at, uh, at the um, uh, police station and and the, and, uh, and like the I know they they interact in, in that scene. And I think that in uh, in a later scene, uh, I don't know if she, they directly interact, but I know that uh, uh, Lula calls her uh, to tell her that she's going to get 
uh, uh, seller and 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 and, and uh, Marietta has like this whole breakdown and she yeah. evaporates no. in smoke. <laughs> it does like Darth Vader sort of no. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very like th- that is the last moment that we see. We no, we see it happen. And then more scenes happen with Lula and Sailor. And then it cuts back and she does a different, no. And yeah. like the fact that that is sort of the last moment is very, yeah. very campy over the top yeah. sort of breakdown. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think in a way, Wilder's heart is David Lynch at his campiest. Yeah. Like uh, and it's, it's also, uh, the even the colors are, are so uh, exaggerated and it's... Uh, the performances like uh, uh, Nicolas Cage doing like this sort of Elvis Presley performance. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also uh, theatrical and exaggerated. It's just camp. And I guess because uh, while at heart, I, I read that it, it was sort of not very well received at Cannes. Uh, and uh, we'll get into Ken. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to talk and, about with this Ken. And, and I, I guess that that sort of more campier aesthetic is is why uh, it was more controversial and uh, than you know the, uh, usually David Lynch films are, especially up to this point. Like this is yeah follow up to Blue Velvet, which is yeah fascinating. Um, oh, I was I had a note that I was just about to say. And I've, oh, yeah, uh, I mean, speaking of sort of the camp influence on it, like, there's a lot of these moments, there's, like, the whole sort of, uh, is it Mr. Starfish? Is that his name? The sort of big boss that they call back to a couple times? What's his name? Uh, I, I can't remember. <laughs> Wait a second, I'm pulling up the, uh, Mr. Reindeer. That's what it was. Where did uh, it yeah, Mr. Reindeer. Yeah. But like his whole sort of entourage and the way, like he, he's like flanked by these two sort of naked women. And yeah. All the stuff with the uh, the Santos's people and like Grace of Brisky and David Patrick Kelly and with all of that stuff. And then also like sort of the whole look of Bobby Peru, especially with that thin little mustache. It's like, I saw a couple reviews uh, sort of compare it to John Waters in a lot of ways. Hmm. Like, yeah. it does feel very much sort of like a Pink Flamingos type American perfect sort of Midwestern suburban pastiche that's being pushed to the extreme yeah. sexual and violent and just great. Yeah, and, it, and even like uh, there's some things that like uh, uh, are so, sort of like highlight this sort of uh, gross part of it like I know there is a scene where there is this uh, Lula has just show, uh, vomited and there's a, a close up of the vomit uh, with like the flies and everything it's like <laughs> and then that the, could be like a, a shot from a John Waters movie Yeah, and then every like for the next couple scenes in that uh, in that hotel room every time some like every time Sailor comes back to the room, he comments like, "Wow, it still smells like barf in here." But like we we know that she's vomiting because yeah. she's pregnant, and so that yeah. adds another layer to their whole sort of situation. But yeah, no, you're right. That definitely does feel like the sort of 
John Waters sort of investigation of the grossness of being yeah. a person, especially yeah. of being a woman of, you know, there, there is that sort yeah. of sickness that comes with pregnancy that uh, he's not shying away from. He's showing what could, what is generally a very beautiful process. You know, you're, you're growing a child, but he's showing yeah. the grossness of it. He's showing that she's vomiting on this hotel room floor and like collapsing to the ground and crying and all this stuff. Uh, and and, and, the, and, sort of the, and the, the, you mentioned the those with the uh, reindeer where you see all these uh, naked women and all that. And I think that that also uh, uh, adds to the the theme of sort of um, uh, the the violence against the female body and uh, the the male violence and uh, the the sort of the way that that uh, in a male world world uh, the way that the female body is objectified those women in, in that sort of uh, that gang- gangster world are just like objects to be desired and looked at uh, um, by those men. Yeah, and then tying it all back to uh, Diane Ladd, I think that that's yeah. what makes it especially interesting that the uh, like the inciting incident of this movie, even though we get it later on in flashback, is of uh, Marietta uh, sort of enacting this sort of physically sexually aggressive proposition on Sarah, yeah. uh, sort of reversing. Yes, yeah, this this transgression of entering the men's room and uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, in a way, uh, doing like the opposite of sort of what would be expected, like uh, a man entering the ladies' room uh, and assaulting a woman. She's like uh, doing the reverse role. And and that that sort of uh, highlights her wickedness. Yeah. Yeah, she is. I mean, I mean, it's the obvious word to pull from if we're going down the Wizard of Oz panel, but she is truly just wicked at yeah. every point in this movie. And it's great. It's, it's like, I mean, I can't think of, I, I know I said this a couple of weeks ago when I did my Man in the Glass Booth episode, but truly I can't think of a parallel for this as far as a performance that has gotten an Oscar nomination. Like, it is absolutely bizarre that it happened but it's great yeah it's awesome yeah and just yeah it's it's it's, it's a it's a really iconic performance it's uh one that uh, that's it's like it, st- it sticks with us yes uh and we'll get we'll get into it later about sort of the behind the scenes of how that nomination happened but just on the on the sort of merit of the performance alone i think it's completely deserved it's one of the yeah. more interesting nominations that has happened, and it's a it's a great one. It's a, uh, yeah. She's. Do you have any more thoughts on her performance? I know we've sort of been back and forth talking about her and talking about other parts of the movie, but do you have anything more to say about Diane Ladd specifically? Um, she's not in it as much as I remember. Yeah. Yes. Like, as, as, especially when they get to Big Tuna at the end, where like. 
she's just kind of gone from the movie for a while. I completely forgot yeah. about that because she looms so large over the rest of this movie. Yeah, she's, she's a character that uh, uh, looms a lot in the, the film. Uh, and um, I guess that, uh, you know, the, the it's her performance is so strong that... Uh, her scenes be become so uh, big and so important and that that's uh, uh, it's sort of like uh, um, uh, Anthony Hopkins performance as uh, um, Hannibal Lecter uh, where he, it, he, he isn't that much in the movie but it's so powerful that uh, it it becomes really important, and uh, it's what you remember afterwards. Yeah, like like we said, the indelible image, the one thing that you remember from this movie. If you rem if you've seen the movie, you remember the lipstick face. You remember yeah. the sort of yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that uh, and uh, I, I even thought that uh, that scene was longer than it actually is because uh, it's. Uh, it's such a great scene <laughs> in your mind. It really, it really lodges itself in there. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a pretty good uh, encapsulation of what this performance is. It's really one of the greats in Lynch's whole filmography, which is full of really good performances, even though like a lot of what works about David Lynch is that he gets these sort of stilted, uh, not quite naturalistic performances he's really pulled out some fantastic performances over the years uh and this isn't necessarily one that everyone thinks of immediately when you think of like the great david lynch performances like you go usually to like dennis hopper and isabella rossellini in blue velvet yeah. or naomi watts in mulholland drive or anyone in the elephant man uh but like this is definitely this deserves to be up there and it's it's yeah. interesting that it's one of the three David Lynch performances that are canonized as Oscar nominees. I think that really yeah. highlights it in a great way. Baby, I got a surprise for you. Hey, my snakeskin jacket. Thanks, baby. Did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? About 50,000 times. I got us a room at the Cape Fear. And guess what? Power Man's playing at the Hurricane. Hurricane. Stabbing and steer. And I think that uh, uh, David Lynch, uh, his, the, the performances in his films are, aren't exact, exactly naturalistic. They, they are very um, sort of, you know, when his films are so weird that they become natural in the context of the, the film. So it's like... Uh, you, you almost don't notice how uh, unnatural the, the, the performances are. <laughs> yeah, like almost by default, this movie out of the uh, out of the eight fictional movies that he's made, so not counting Elephant Man and the straight story because those are outliers in his career, but out of the eight uh, fictional David Lynch movies, this one is by default one of the more grounded ones, like more grounded, yeah, yeah. realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even still, it has so many just like surrealistic, unnaturalistic 
there's the yeah. point where they're at some bar and this guy comes up and sits next to them and says something and it's sort of like very high-pitched adjusted uh but yeah, like, yeah and and, and, and every i think that like they uh, the the way they're they're going like uh through the road and they they find various people and the people they find are so you know sort of surreal uh, uh that moment uh where they find that car crash and yeah. uh, it's, yeah, well, it's such a it's uh, it's such a, a, a surreal moment it's uh, uh really uh strange and i think uh although it's a very uh in in terms of the way the story is told compared to his other films maybe it's the uh, more linear and straightforward but it still i think has a lot of the quirks and the strangeness that is so typical of david lynch exactly yeah um let's talk about this cast this is there's like aside from diane ladd there's like five or six all-timer david lynch performances in this movie yeah uh yeah yeah uh, uh, i uh, i am personal personally a huge fan of Nicolas Cage performance in yeah. this film it's personally my my favorite Nick Cage performance yeah i uh, just how uh, because, long it is but he's yeah and he's he's like uh, i don't know it's, it, 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 he's just so uh, there's this coolness about his character uh, that's uh, I, i would say it's probably the coolest character in a David Lynch film <laughs> and yeah. and 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 it's uh, his, he has this sort of charm that you you can help but love yeah and i would have i would have loved to see them work together again yeah there's like there was some clip that went around like a year or two ago of i don't remember what it was for but there was some Q&A where Nick Cage was asked about his time on this movie and sort of what it was like working with David Lynch and he mentioned that like at the time because this was in the moment where he was like really just like serious actor Nicolas Cage very method very you know wanting to be like a a very yeah. serious thespian uh and the sort of David Lynch style of directing and of particularly of directing actors kind of clashed with that So I think at the time there was sort of not necessarily bad blood between them but like there were definitely they definitely butted heads but like he also does cite this movie as like a big uh sort of revelation as to that acting isn't just doing the method and being very serious that it is sort yeah. of you take what you're given on set and you collaborate and I would have loved to see the two of them work together again after that sort of moment and just to see like I don't think he would have fit at all into the other like four movies that he made after this or five movies that he made after Wild at Heart but I I want I want to see those uh particular personalities come together again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's this uh um phrase that He says that that I uh, absolutely love the jacket. I think I yeah. yeah I have it written. This here uh, jacket is a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. And about this yeah. gold snakeskin jacket that he wears. Yeah, that, actually, that's, like, that's 
that's like one of my favorite phrases in cinema history. It's it's so like it's uh, iconic. It's so cool, and it's uh, like it's. You know, it's it's like it encapsulates his character. Like th that yeah. phrase is literally what his character stands for: this sort of individualism and this uh, uh, sort of uh, personal. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, in being being uh, different. You know, uh, he he has this. It's the the snake skin. Jacket is sort of like a a bizarre uh, th thing to wear in a way, and it's and, and it's sort of like it mirrors his character. Exactly, and from what I read, I don't think that's in the script. I think this was just while they were on set. Nick Cage was like, "Hey, my character is going to wear this jacket uh, that I own." Yeah. He just—it's a jacket that he just owns, and I think it belonged to someone famous. Uh, but he was like, hey, by the way, my character wears this jacket now. And they, they went along yeah. with it. And it really adds just an extra little, uh, little tick to this character that works. And really just, I mean, it does represent his uh, individuality and belief in personal freedom. It, yeah. Just in that one single costume choice, it, that's him. It, that it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of like a... Uh, a David Lynch way of representing uh, the American dream. <laughs> yeah, it's this uh, weird little snakeskin uh, jacket. Yeah, that feel like Elvis. Yeah, right. And and I I, ju I just love that scene uh, that in that like uh, bar where he he just uh, starts singing uh, 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 Elvis and yeah. like you have this. This like recorded uh, uh, girls uh, screaming, <laughs> and the it's, same sound it's, over and over. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think that's what adds to the campiness of it all because it's like it's also manufactured, but it's uh, it's so uh, you know it's also fake, but it's. Uh, 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 it's so cool in a way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, at its core, this is a movie about two cool people. Yeah. And I think I read some note, uh, some trivia bit, that, like, the way that Nick Cage and Laura Dern sort of came together and developed the characters of Sailor and Lula is that they established, or at least they played it as these two characters are basically an extension of one person. They're playing basically the same character split up into this couple is that's that's how they yeah. sort of approach it is they're two of the same mind per, like perfectly uh, uh uh what's the word i'm thinking symbiotic with each other yeah yeah and, and i think it, it really works it's a it's a it's a romance movie at its center uh which i think yeah is, and and uh, and uh, i uh i really like uh Laura Dern, uh, Laura Dern's performance here. I think that she, she's also, uh, I think in a way her performance uh, um, is what uh, gives the emotional depth of of uh, the film. Yeah. She, she, she's very, 
you know, uh, her character is very complex because she has this trauma, this childhood trauma she has been by a friend of the family and the, the whole thing about her uh, father's death. And she, she's a very conflicted character. And I think that uh, Laura Dern pulls everything together really perfectly. And you you really feel for her character and identify with her. Uh, and it's a, also a great performance that yeah. honestly, honestly, I think uh, uh, both, uh, those, both those um, performances uh, are, are Oscar worthy. <laughs> I would have nominated this in all four yeah. acting categories and we'll get yeah. into a supporting actor in a bit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think she's great. And something that, uh, that really sort of adds to uh, the Lula character is you see that Laura Dern is comfortable in this movie above all else in these very yeah. like graphic scenes where she's being sort of, uh, uh, there's attacked. yeah being attacked being uh, having violence sort of wrought upon her yeah. but then also these moments where she's in bed with Sailor and they're like she's recounting yeah. sort of sexually graphic uh, moments or he's recounting these sexually graphic moments and she's just like sort of reveling in it because she does yeah. love this guy not just on a romantic level but there is like a very much very much a sexual yeah and and thing. and uh, uh, i just remembered that uh, about that symbiotic relationship between the two i remember this scene where they have just had sex and she's talking about how he understands her and uh, when they are having sex it's like his penis is, is uh, speaking to her uh, <laughs> and it's the, it's that connection that they have yeah um but yeah i i i mean i read a lot of sort of trivia bits about this movie because there's it's such a fascinating uh every every part of this production is just really interesting as are most david lynch uh productions but one of the things that i read about that is that laura dern at this point she's only like 20 when she makes this movie uh yeah but she like had it at this point in her career that she didn't want to do nudity on screen that was like a decision i think it was in her contracts and she specifically was like she agreed to do the nudity in this movie because of how sort of comfortable with it david lynch allowed her to be and like he i mean it it's always been sort of the way that people especially actresses talk about him as a director uh is that he's a very for all of the sort of violent darkness that you get in his movies he's a very uh Co cooperative director he's very much willing yeah. to extend comfort and support to all of his actors which uh i mean it really translates in this performance you get uh that laura dern and that by extension lula are very open in uh in their sexuality and in their willingness to sort of uh, yeah, it's, latch it's, on it's, to this it's, sailor it's that that theme of uh sexual liberation i feel that uh, when I watch this film, uh, I feel that uh, these two characters are so sexually liberated and it's so, you know, it, uh, it's really satisfying to, uh, to see and to, to watch the, their romance 
and yeah. Yeah. Going back to the sort of uh, exploration of America in, in the way that he sort of especially epitomized in Blue Velvet of like small town, perfect white picket fence America, but there's a real grossness underneath and a real uh, potential for violence. There's a scene in this that feels almost prophetic in, but also more likely it's just influential on movies to come and sort of the way things are to come with stuff like uh, True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Yeah. California all feel very much like spiritual sort of successors to this movie. But there's a scene where I think Lula is driving uh, after they get gas or whatever and Sailor's sort of resting in the passenger seat. And she's like flipping through radio stations and every channel she turns to is a different news story about just like a violent rape or a murder or like just horrific sort of sensation yeah this this, this sensationalistic news about yeah. horrible things and and then she she's like she freaks out and she she tells uh uh put some she says uh, put some dance uh, music on and uh, uh it, and he uh lands on this radio that's going uh, like this uh, I, I think it's sort of metal or something, yeah. uh, and and they start d- dancing uh, outside the car. Yeah, it's, it's so a, a really yeah, and it's it's so it's a, but it's also a really interesting moment because then the the camera sort of do this like uh, um, crane shot that pulls out, and it's it kind of remembers like this uh, uh, reminds us of uh, like. So very romantic shots uh, with the the golden hour light and uh, and it, it's and then, then the the music uh, shift has this shift to more this uh, like fairy tale uh, music and uh, and it's it starts that that thing about uh, the, the the violence of America but looking through the scope of this this sort of uh, in the innocence and uh, uh, trying to find innocence in in a, a violent world, or and trying to find uh, love in 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 a, a world of violence. Yeah, and I think it is uh, especially noteworthy that the way that they sort of respond to this, uh, you know, gross sensationalism is through music and through dance. Yeah. That's how they express themselves. They are yeah. a very musical couple. He is very clearly, I mean, it's sort of been Nick Cage's whole thing, especially in this era, that he's a big Elvis fan. Yeah. Translates in his performances. But this is his like most Elvis of a performance yeah. he's gotten. Yeah, he's uh, very, he's, he's very, I mean, he, he, uh, he's the, the king of cool, you know, <laughs> the, yeah. in, this, in, this, in this film. Uh, and, it's, uh, and he sings. Uh, um, he sings love the, me the first time when they're at oh. the when they're at the bar. He sings love me, and then later, yeah. Hey, why didn't you sing love me tender? And he goes, Yeah. Well, I I I told you I would sing you love me tender uh, when I don't. Yeah. I only sing love me tender to my wife, is the thing. Yeah. And then at and, the end of the movie, over the credits, yeah. he's singing yeah. 
tender. It's very sweet. It's a- and and the the interesting thing is that that ending uh, isn't present in the the book. Yeah, uh, the book ends with them separating, uh, and and David Lynch sort of changed uh, it, extended the story to have like that dream sequence with. Uh, that, that um, with uh, Cheryl Lee as the Cheryl, as Cheryl, Cheryl Lee as, yeah as a good witch uh, and she convinces him uh, uh, that, that she tells him uh, if you're truly well at heart you'll fight for your dreams and that convinces him to go back to Lola and then the, the, there's the, the, this whole the sort of uh, uh, romantic all Hollywood uh, uh, La La Land. <laughs> yeah, ending. it's sort of like how uh, uh, how Blue Velvet ends with a very much like a yeah a sort of picture perfect yeah evil defeated back yeah. to old America. Yeah, it's it's that 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 message of hope in in this whole horrible world, and there's this hope that that. that Good will prevail, and they these lovers uh, get back together, yeah. and they sing uh, "Love Me Tender" yeah. <laughs> in the middle of a, a packed uh, a street. <laughs> I do like the setup to that scene, though, where uh, they like he gets out of prison, and she collects him, but he's like, "No, this isn't going to work out," and he goes off. Yeah. And he goes off with their kid, uh, and he's walking down the street, and he gets to like this group of like, I guess just, like, a gang members just standing around yeah. in a circle. And he, like, calls them the F-slur, and one of them punches yeah. him in the face, and he falls down, and that's when he gets the vision. Yeah. He gets back up, and, and they're like, uh, you done, or you want, you ready for more? And he's like, actually, no, I'm done. Uh, thank <laughs> you for helping me see the light of my ways. Sorry I referred to you as homosexuals. <laughs> I got, I got to, I got to go meet the love of my life or whatever. I just, it's very, like, yeah, that, you don't that, see that, that often. Line is, the, that line is, is so funny when he says, uh, sorry that I called you homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> and like the, the whole, the whole, uh, uh, I think he's doing this, like, I know it's this strange accent. I, I don't know, it's, uh, uh, it's so, it makes it all so much funnier. <laughs> yeah, doing a little bit of an Elvis voice. Yeah. Uh, okay, I think I think I've been putting it off too long. I think it's time to talk about my boy. You, you know it had to happen. We're talking about Willem Dafoe. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, those of you listening at home, Willem Dafoe is my favorite actor working today. He's I consistently no matter what he's in, he's always interesting. He's always bringing some some level of commitment to a role. And when you, you watch him talk about his performances, he really does get into his characters and get into the sort of world of a movie in a really interesting way. And uh, there was, it's not the Vanity Fair, but you know how sometimes actors will do videos with some uh, whatever news publication where they talk about their different performances over the years and they sort of talk about a, a couple different major films but it's one of those and I'll, I'll clip it when I'm doing the edit I'll, I'll clip the section where he talks about this movie 
but he mentions how uh, David Lynch sort of prepared him to get into the very, very specific role of Bobby Peru. David Lynch was one of the uh, most fun people to work with, and it was partly because he was so clear. He gave me a beautiful setup. People imagine sometimes that, you know, a good actor's director is someone that talks to you and pulls you aside and tells you how to do things. That hasn't been my experience. My experience is they create a world or they create a setup or invite you to collaborate in such a way that there's a logic to what you're doing. You're clear and the beautiful things happen in your presence or your commitment. You're experiencing the things that are happening. The best experiences are always when you get a good setup and David Lynch gave me such a good setup and really didn't give me any choices like in terms of costume. He's, he basically brought this thing out on a hanger and said, Willem, this is your costume. And I was good with that. Normally, you'd have a conversation with a, this is what I think, this is what you think, blah, blah, blah. But it was very direct. And I responded immediately to it. And then he said, uh, we got to send you to the dentist. And I said, why? And I read the script. I, I know that he had stumpy, discolored teeth, but I made the assumption that we'd just do it with makeup. He said, no, no, we got to, we got to make you some dentures. And I thought, wild. So we had these dentures made, and they were the key to the character. So I got those teeth, and it kept my mouth open like this in a way that, you know, I was able to tap into a kind of lasciviousness, you know? You go like this, you know, and all of a sudden you start sitting differently, you know, you start, you start feeling differently. That became the key. It shows that actors sometimes, left to their own devices, put limitations on themselves, because I would never thought of that. Right. Strangely enough, I just assumed something. It wasn't studied, it was kind of intuitive. But I think Bobby Peru is uh, one of uh, my most complete characterizations. <laughs> to hear yeah, I, I, I actually really love this uh, performance. And it's, it's one of the, the things that uh, most uh, uh, sticked out uh, in this uh film it's uh uh i mean that scene that i talked about uh, where he's with uh, uh laura dern uh, uh in that scene i think encapsulates his character and his performance because it's such uh i, I don't know it's, it's a, uh, such a twisted performance yeah uh, like it, there's not really a good one-to-one -one parallel with it with the Wizard of Oz. He's not really yeah. any particular character with that. But if we're keeping down the sort of fairy tale, sort of fantastical route, he's he very much feels like a big bad wolf type. He just yeah. shows up in the last like 30 minutes of this yeah. movie when they get to this tiny little town called Bad Tuna. Uh, yeah. He's just another drifter that we find out later is working for Marcelo Santos and Isabella Rossellini's character, who I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but he's just like this sort of hair slicked back, black leather, thin mustache, gross little stubby teeth, just like a real wolf of a character. Uh, it's yeah. like he, he kind yeah, of he, he, like a, like, you know, in Looney Tunes where a character will like their head will turn into a wolf for a second and like howl yeah. when they see a pretty lady or whatever. Yeah. It looks like that. That's the yeah. best I can describe his look here. Yeah, he's he's a really uh, he sort of makes her skin crawl, and he's really 
uh, sort of creepy and twisted and and he and I actually uh, um, had didn't remember that he was just in the sort of final part. I I, I thought he had he appears more times and uh, and like that is a testament to like how uh, how strong his performance is and how uh, impactful it is. Yeah, and the the weird like the thing that makes it the most terrifying and the most sort of menacing is that outside of a couple moments where he's like snarling and sort of growling at Lula, almost all of this performance, he's like goofy and smiling and just sort of like yeah. pretending to be friendly with these folks. Like yeah. the way that that scene ends for him where he is like grasping Lula's throat and like telling her, if you tell me to fuck you, I'll stop. So tell me to fuck you. And he's like whispering, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. And all this stuff. And like, when she does finally say it, he's like, someday, honey, I will, but I gotta get going. <laughs> he just like walks out of the hotel room and just with this giant smile, which is made all the more creepy because he has those yeah. little, little... Yeah, it's, it, 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 it makes that, that scene so much more disturbing because there's this whole violence that then is handled with it's it's such uh, lightheartedness. It like he's, 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 it's, it's like she, like, she's it's like it's uh, I think that's what makes uh, it so disturbing. And is that uh, it's a violence that uh, that I guess that's the the violence that uh, uh, you know sexual harassment uh, holds. It's that it reduces. The victim, uh, she, uh, L- um, Lula, is reduced to you know just this uh, object to be uh, handled, uh, and she sort sort of uh, humanizing, and that's uh, that's goofiness that his character has afterwards. That it makes it all like there's this contradiction that happens. That makes it more uh, disturbing. Yeah. And so, and then, like, the other sort of image that you leave this movie remembering outside, like, it's another close-up of a creepy face that Lynch really... It's... Willem Dafoe with that uh, stock on, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Bobby uh, tells Sailor, hey, we're going to go rob this bank. I I have a plan. I know a guy, blah, blah, blah. Turns out this has been a ruse that Marcelo Santos has set up. They're going to kill Sailor. So Bobby and Sailor show up at this bank. They have like pantyhose over their head, very raising Arizona. Uh, yeah. But so Bobby has like this shotgun and Sailor has this handgun. And Bobby like shoots the hand off of one of the tellers. And it, it's yeah. very sort of gnarly. Uh, and then he turns and points the gun at Sailor and Sailor tries to shoot him with the handgun and it's this close up on Defoe and the way the sort of stockings sort of smooth out all of his features and slick back his hair and his ears so he just sort of looks like his face is almost painted on rather than an actual human face and he's got the thin little rat mustache and the teeth on full display and he's just Loser, dummies, 
dummy. <laughs> and talking about because the gun's loaded with blanks. It's not actually there's nothing there. And just the glee on his face and in his voice, because he's doing this real weird sort of southern accent in this movie, Defoe is. But the way that he delivers that line and the way that his face looks in that, that's the face that's going to haunt your dreams. That's the face that come away from this movie like, oh, Willem Defoe was playing like a an actual like monster, not just in terms of what he does, but just physically he's just monstrous. Yeah, he's he's he he embodies the sort of fairy tale monster. It's like the, the that character that is the embodiment of pure uh, twisted evil. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's really great in this. It's a great performance because it yeah. gets under your skin in these mm-hmm. movies. Just like and it's, from the it's very def- first shot where he's just walking up to this table at night in the sort of yeah center, uh, like courtyard of this motel where they're stopped, and he's just. He comes up and he's, they introduce him as like, oh, here's Bobby Peru. Here's this other guy that's been staying here for a bit. He introduces himself to them. He seems pleasant in the way that he's talking to them. He doesn't seem menacing yet, but yes. just in the look of him, in the sort of quaff of his hair and the, again, the mustache and teeth really, really are, do wonders in terms of making you distrust this guy right away. Yeah, he, there's, there's, there's immediately something off about him and and i think uh uh it's definitely uh, a performance that should have been nominated for for an oscar absolutely harry dean stanton in this movie uh is he's kind of the one you think about least out of the the main cast because he's playing the most regular guy of them. Yeah, this, uh, yeah, he's the most normal person in, in this really strange uh, uh, universe, and he's uh, in a way he's sort of uh, as, like dislocated and and in in this cast. Uh, outside but, of like. That, that, that's I think that makes his character in a way uh, also uh, special, and his perform he gives like a, uh, I think he gives like this dimension to this character that is very, I mean, uh, it's it's why we love Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> yeah, because he's so good at playing just like a kind of sad guy that yeah. you don't want to root for just because he looks he, he kind of looks like an old puppy that you just yeah. want to be like oh come on harry dean come on oh, and that's that's uh I, uh I also have very present the sort of the that close-up right before he's killed yes uh, the, the, there's the, the, oh. there's this close-up and it's i, I think his facial expression makes it uh, like kind of really emotional. That moment's really emotional, and you feel feel bad for him. So yeah, so the sort of ending to this Johnny Farragut character, this Harry Dean Stanton character, is that unbeknownst to him, Marietta has hired Marcellus also to go after Sailor, 
and there's some sort of in in, in sort of uh, against her will, you know, yeah. because she doesn't she doesn't really want to. Uh, but there's some on like we don't know the origin of it, but there's some grudge between Santos and Johnny, and so she keeps telling Marcellus like, no, don't go after Johnny Farragut. He's not on this assignment. Don't, you don't need to do anything to him because she has feeling for him. She likes this guy, but he does it anyway. He sends uh, some of his goons to go pick him up. Uh, and there's a scene where he's like the, his last scene they're in some, I assume probably a hotel room, but it's like just ever so slightly uh, like the production design just kind of throws you off a little bit of the room and he's tied up and he has like duct tape over his mouth and it's Grace Zabriskie and David Patrick Kelly and another actor whose name I don't know, but they're all sort of like menacing around him and like yeah. haunting him and like Grace Zabriskie's sort of like, um, yeah. And the, 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 the way that that scene is shot is the, the faces are sort of distorted and uh, that they're like these horrifying faces that like, Come, come at the camera and they're haunting us. And that scene, um, that scene was in the original cut, more graphic and more violent. And like, after they killed Johnny, there was a, a, a bit where uh, Grace Zabriskie like has a full on sex scene with one of the other guys in that like oh, yeah, yeah. continuation of that scene. And one, that scene got the film an X rating. And so they had to cut out a lot of it to get it down to uh, an R rating. And two, in early test screenings for this movie, the first time this movie was played, like 80 people walked out of that scene. And the second time, 100 more walked out of that scene. So I would be very curious to see what the, the extended version of this torture scene is. Because by all Yeah, me, me too. Like, I, I'm, I was like, I mean, it must be like... Uh, amazing. <laughs> People at this point would have seen Blue Velvet, and like Blue Velvet yeah. did have that reputation of being very graphically violent and yeah. over sexual. But like, I want to see what that scene is like. That it's sending almost two hundred people out of the screen yeah. alone and getting it an X rating. That just sounds like <laughs> I don't even know what what content you would put in there to make it that level. Of graphic, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about like the timeline of production on this movie because it's a very interesting sort of story about how it happened. So it, at this point, uh, Dino De Laurentiis had gone bankrupt, his producer on some of his other movies at, the, at that point, point. Uh, and Lynch was in the middle of, uh, or he had just shot the pilot episode of Twin Peaks. Uh, so that's sort of the. Hmm. Timeline for this. Uh, that's that's why uh, there there are uh, some actors from Twin Peaks in this yeah, film. A whole bunch of them, like yeah, even more than like usually. D David Lynch always sort of works with the same sort of group of actors that pop up yeah. and stuff. Uh, but this has like an especially high amount of yeah. specifically Twin Peaks actors sort of populating the minor roles. But so. At this time, also, Barry Gifford is writing the book that uh, this is based on. He's writing uh, Wild at Heart. Monty Montgomery, who is a producer and I think uh, just collaborator of David Lynch's, 
reads the book, decides he's going to make the movie. He's going to write the screenplay. He's going to direct, blah, blah, blah. Lynch, uh, he, he gives the, a copy of the book to Lynch and is like, hey, uh, do you want to produce? I'm going to make a movie based on this book. Do you want to produce it? Uh, and Lynch reads the book, loves it, and is like, actually, I'm going to write and direct this movie. Thank you. Uh, he's adapting it. He's writing it. Like you said, he changes the ending to make it more of a happy ending, which is it's very interesting, I think, that Lynch chose to go for the happy ending. But yeah. he's also, he's uh, sort of imbuing this Wizard of Oz motif throughout the movie. Yeah, to sort he, of he, he sort of gives this uh, Lynchian flair to the, to the story. Yeah, I would be very curious to read the actual book and see how much of the the little idiosyncrasies are actually there and how many of them are just I, I, I read that uh, the in terms of story uh, it's a very faithful adaptation but the, the, the village added a bit of all these quirks and uh, I think there was a scene that um, I think that the the car crash scene yeah I read that uh, was was uh, that isn't present in in the book and I think uh, a couple characters at least I know Mr. Reindeer some somewhere I read that he's uh, yeah yeah an, uh, addition. and and I think and I think uh, Mar- Marcelo Santos isn't as present in the book yeah I do want to read it though like going back yeah. and watching this a second time I I had forgotten how, how sort of layered this plot is i kind of remembered it more of of like a like a sort of what do you i mean like, kind of like a road trip of a movie that it's just sort of meandering through these uh locations and characters and sort of interacting with those i'd forgotten how sort of how many layers deep the sort of conspiracy of criminals all yeah. trying to get at sailor uh, went. I, I forgot all about the fact that he was a driver for Marcelo Santos and was there on the night that uh, Lula's dad was murdered. I completely uh, forgot about that sort of... Uh, yeah, I, I also had forgotten about that whole story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this... Okay. This is going to be a good transition into talking about the awards presence of yeah. uh, Wilder Heart. The nominees are... Annette Benning and the Grifters. Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas. Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost. Diane Ladd in Wild at Heart. Mary McDonald in Dances with Wolves. So let's talk about Cannes. Let's talk about the 1990 Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this movie opened, what was the day I wrote down? Opened on May 19th at, these, at this uh, particular Cannes Film Festival. And at the opening screening, it actually got generally positive reception. It got cheered. It was a, it was a movie that the audiences at Cannes liked for the most part. And then it wins the Palme d'Or. And some people cheered, and a lot of people. But there, yeah, that, there was a very mixed reception, which is uh, sort of surprising, uh, in my opinion. Um, and and I think in terms of reviews, it also was kind of 
mix critically. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I remember reading uh, uh, Roger Ebert's uh, uh, review. He he was very he had very mixed feelings about it. Yeah, Ebert hated this movie. Yeah. He also, he also wasn't a fan of Blue Velvet. I remember. But yeah, yeah. Robert, uh was a very outspoken critic of this movie in particular. But I think that is maybe the perfect transition into a game that I have for you. <laughs> okay. So this is a game format that I think I'm deciding I'm just going to call Certified Rotten. I uh, debuted mm. this on my episode on The Star. So I have pulled a selection of movies for you. And each of these movies, I went through Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb reviews, and I pulled out snippets from negative reviews. So I've pulled six Palm Door winners of the 1990s. I didn't go with all, like, 12, because there were a couple ties. I I only pulled six, so this isn't going to go on for too long. So each one, I have three snippets that get progressively easier as we go. Are you ready for Certified Rotten 90s Palm Door? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, and I've also removed any uh, titles, directors, actor names, and left in blanks. Uh, So here is your first review. What's most bothersome about title is its success. This is not to be mean-spirited about director himself, may he harvest all the available millions, but the way that this picture has been so widely ravened up and drooled over verges on the disgusting. Title nourishes a bet's cultural slumming. Uh, can you can you re- repeat because I th- the connection uh, cuts yeah. uh, part. What's most bothersome about title is its success. This is not to be mean spirited about director himself. May he harvest all the available millions. But the way that this picture has been so wi- widely ravened up and drooled over verges on the disgusting. Title nourishes abets cultural slumming. Is it Pulp Fiction? It is Pulp Fiction. Uh, There was the next one that I pulled. I thought it was very interesting. The reviewer was like, I called Reservoir Dogs. Essentially, the review is, when Reservoir Dogs came out two years ago, I called it Dostoyevskian. And now I apologize for calling it Dostoyevskian because I think Tarantino is just a hack. (laughs) It's a very funny review, a very interesting fighting review from the time. Uh, Okay. Who wrote it? I actually didn't write down the, uh. the viewers on these. I should do that for future reference. Uh, okay, your next quote. Uh, this one, I think, is from IMDb, so it's not necessarily a professional review. I just liked the way it was phrased. Okay. On top of that, this film doesn't even have a plot. Do the filmmakers think that depicting someone crying a lot and showing the British version of depression is a storyline or that they are depicting something that your average person doesn't already understand? It's uh, Secrets and Lies. Secrets and Lies, yes. I just love the British version of depression. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what's going to away from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, your next quote for your next movie. Perhaps the major problem is that despite the actor's best efforts, director is ultimately interested only in iconography, not characters at all. Mm. 
Maybe Eternity in the Day? No. So your next quote. It is a movie that not only explores the underbelly of American society, but wallows in it as well. It is unpleasant, very weird, and when the laughs come, they tend to come uncomfortably. It's uh, Barton Fink? No. So your next quote. The movie is lurid melodrama, soap opera, exploitation, put on, and self Oh, it's... Is it Wild at Heart? It is Wild at Heart. Ah, I think because I, I, I was thinking that Wild at Heart is being excluded from the... No. The, okay. Uh, <laughs> three more. Uh, I wanted to keep this kind of short. Even at 155 minutes, the film has problems covering so much ground. Though it rarely strays from one or other of the points of its romantic triangle, the characters can seem dwarfed by history. Uh, the best intentions, uh, or no? So your next question. Oh, fa- farewell, farewell, my concubine. Farewell, my concubine. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, the the love tri- triangle. Yeah. Yes. Uh, this one, this is from a negative review, but it makes it sound like the coolest movie ever. This is still for fa- farewell, my concubine. I just wanted to uh, quote this. Take the costume designers from the birdcage and the fanatical sexual obsessions from Fatal Attraction, then add a gigantic helping of sadomasochism, and you'll get something remarkably similar to Farewell and My Concubine. Doesn't that sound <laughs> cool? They yeah. meant that to be a burn, but like, I would watch that. Yeah. Farewell and My Concubine is awesome. That's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, uh, next movie, first quote. This creepy satire is full of laughs and flaky twists, but by the end, you may still be scratching your head. Is this uh, Barton Fink? This is Barton Fink. It was hard to find good quotes for that one because most of the bad reviews were like, I didn't get it. It was dumb. And like... I could, uh, that's just any bad review. Be more interesting in your pans, people. And so your last one. Stellar cast ultimately wasted in this self-absorbed, oh-so-pretentious, aren't-I-an-important film and more important director making a very important statement film oeuvre. Um... I know if it's uh, underground... No. So your next quote, I think a lot of people were taken in by the atmospheric photography the ana- and the anachronistic repetitive new age music, but I like only films that have plausible plots and characters, and between the holes in the plot and the unrealistic motivations of the characters, I had a, pro- I had a problem sitting through this bit of pretentious Harlequin romance material. Uh... Uh, my dad is arriving. <laughs> uh, there, there, there are no. Uh, what was that? No, there are no. Uh, it's it's a different from. Oh yeah. Different. Yeah, no repeats. Want to take a guess or should I give you your last quote? Uh, 
give me a, a less good. Okay. First of all, if you're male and you find this movie to be distasteful, please don't think it's because you don't understand the female psyche. What you're experiencing is a perfectly normal reaction to one of the worst films ever made. The plot is totally unbelievable. The characters are shit when underdeveloped. The movie is laden with trite, overbearing symbolism. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes has more artistic merit than this piece of celluloid trash. Is it the piano? Believe it or not, it is the piano. <laughs> okay. It was it, because I, I was I was I was thinking of that, but like uh, the, the 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 way that, that the the second quote you said uh, talked about Harlequin setter, it was like throwing me off. I was like, is it a piano or is it something else? Well, it was tough to find uh, good takedowns uh, or good like negative reviews of the piano. One of my issues in creating this game. Uh, in general, when I've done it before, is that the Rotten Tomatoes website is really bad at archiving. So anytime it's like, here's a little blurb, click on this link to go uh, see the full review. And most of the time, when you click on a link that's not from like 2020 or more recent, it's a dead link. And it's yeah. really annoying trying to find uh, old reviews that it says are archived, but just aren't. Yeah. Anyway... Good job on uh, on our little game there. Thanks. But yeah, uh, so Wild at Heart, uh, so, Home Door winner. Yeah. Uh, one thing I found uh, interesting about, because like when Wild at Heart uh, won the, the Palm Door, it was like, it had those uh, mixed uh, reception and like people booed it. And like I, I went to check what other movies were like uh, nominated in the the main competition, and uh, I was like, uh, I only know like four other movies. Yeah. So I, I was like, uh, I was like, so what what were people expecting for to win? <laughs> the only title in there that I recognized, at least when I sort of glanced through it, was Cyrano de Bergerac, and that yeah. was. That's the one that Roger Ebert in his uh, sort of takedown in his uh, review was like, I can't believe this movie won the palm. Just wait till you see Cyrano de Bergerac. It's so much better. Uh, which I haven't seen Cyrano de Bergerac. But yeah, I, I haven't seen it either. Yeah. But yeah, it was uh, not necessarily slim pickings at this festival. I, I mean, like I haven't seen the other movies, so I have no sort of... Uh, the, the, I... I, I... The only other movie that at least I remember when I checked the list that I have seen is uh, uh, Judo uh, by Jang uh, Yimou. Yeah. I watched it in, in, in college. Yeah. And like, there's a Ken Loach movie, there's an Alan Parker movie. Yeah. There's a Clint Eastwood movie yeah, that, called White that, Hunter, Black Heart. Yeah, I, I, I was like, Clint Eastwood movie that I had never heard about. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a Jean-Luc Godard, but yeah, there's like, not many of these movies are ones that people have, or at least that have... Yeah, been. even even that's, that Jean-Luc Godard uh, movie, I, I had never heard about it. <laughs> Nouvelle Vague. Yeah. I don't know how that would be pronounced. Nouvelle Vague. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's kind of interesting to look at the movies that played uh, the other sort of sections. Uh, 
uh, playing on certain regard, they had Longtime Companion, a movie that I will eventually be talking about here. Uh, out of competition, they played Crybaby and Kurosawa's Dreams and also The Little Moon. So, a year later. Yeah, I, I know that's the, that uh, uh, festival opened with uh, Kurosawa's Dreams. Yeah. I mean that. I mean, it didn't play in competition, but like, yeah. that's a great movie. That would have been a worthy, yeah, uh, a worthy winner if it had played. Yeah. In but yeah, I mean, like, like you said, people booed this pick. People were sort of critical of this pick, but truly, what like it's the movie out of the lineup that has stood yeah. the time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, looking at some of the other sort of awards. Uh, presence and a sort of precursor attention that this movie got. It's not much. I, there's really not much to write down. Uh, yeah. So Grand Lad did get a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, yes, okay. it was, and then a couple of other uh, nominations. Some critical stuff, I think. But like the big yeah. one, she got yeah. the Golden Globe. Uh, she didn't win. Whoopi Goldberg won. Obviously, she went on to win the Oscar. Um, but from there, this is, it's one of the most interesting sort of self-funded campaign stories that there is. So she got this Golden Globe nomination. And I think after that, on the back of that, I was like, okay, I could get an Oscar nomination. Who knows? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> the studio didn't want to uh, put money behind it. Because, you know, Wild at Heart didn't do very well at the box office. People weren't really liking it. It was, yeah. you know, it's definitely grown in reputation more so than being beloved at the time. And so studio wasn't going to put their money behind a, a campaign for Ian Ladd as, as a, basically a wicked witch type in this David Lynch movie. Yeah. So she, uh, she reached out to the distributors of the movie. She like, got 20 tapes on, all, all on her own, just like just tapes of the movie, and wrote letters to like 300, or like, she wrote letters to hundreds of voters in the Academy. <laughs> hey, you want to come borrow a copy of Wild at Heart and watch it? You can do that. Uh, just, a, just a little self-funded campaign. She said that probably like 300 voters at the very least saw the movie through that route. She also hosted a spaghetti dinner and invited a bunch <laughs> of uh, uh, Academy members to come have spaghetti and watch a movie together. Uh, and uh, a whole bunch of people came to that. And, like, at this point, she's, you know, Hollywood royalty, basically. Yeah. She has, like, Shelley Winters. Uh, I, I read this all in Inside Oscar. It mentions that Shelley Winters showed up at that dinner and then later joined the, like, joined the nomination for Diane Ladd campaign. Yeah. Campaign. <laughs> and, uh, but even with all that, even with that sort of self-funded campaign, the Oscar nomination ended up being a real surprise to the point that on nomination morning, when they're announcing Best Supporting Actress, here are the nominees. They didn't even have a still photo from the movie ready for her. <laughs> had like a, a black and white like stock of Diane Ladd to pop up with Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost and whoever else. That is, that's, that's pretty funny. That like... Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it she really put herself out there. She really made a made a campaign for herself. 
which is it's pretty great. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really. I actually didn't know that that it had been that way, and it's it's really funny that uh, she was able to to be nominated uh, for such a improbable uh, uh, performance. Uh, you know, uh, by inviting. Uh, academy voters to spaghetti party and yeah. <laughs> sending tapes openly just like yeah come on vote for me I want it here's yeah. some give me an Oscar I love it I love it and, and, the, and the interesting thing that Lauren was also nominated that year for uh, a movie called uh, Rambling Rose right that was the next one because oh, that was the next. The next year, oh. Diane Ladd also got nominated for that. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they were. I, I knew, I knew, I knew there was a year where they both yeah. had been nominated. That was uh, the next year, and then let me double check because I feel like in Alice doesn't live here anymore. I think Laura Dern, as like a baby, is in that as well. Let me check on that but i think yes uh laura dern appears as the little girl eating ice cream from a cone in the diner in <laughs> Al uh, alice doesn't live here anymore so note to uh diane ladd if you want to get an oscar nomination just act with your daughter again just yeah just uh, be in another movie with her it's worked three times for you so far yeah yeah fun little tidbit there uh and fun little tidbit about that. Tidbit is David Lynch's nickname for Laura Dern. Uh, when they're on set, he calls her Tidbit. Like how he calls really? her. <laughs> he calls Laura Dern Tidbit. Uh, which <laughs> is adorable. Um, but yeah, other nominations this got, it got a Best Sound nomination at BAFTA, which, I mean, like, uh, it's not what... Yeah, I, 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 I mean, it, it has a, I mean, it's a David Lynch movie, and I think... Uh, David Lynch films are usually have a very uh, immersive um, sound design. Yeah, but I, I think uh, it also was nominated for best cinematography at the uh, Independent Spirits. It won. It won best cinematography yet. In yeah, it's, it won. Yeah, and then uh, and then, honestly, I think it could have been or should have been uh, nominated for Best Cinematography in the Oscars because the cinematography is really amazing. Yeah. But then the other Indie Spirit nomination it got, it got a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Willem Dafoe. Which yeah. I'm very happy that Willem Dafoe somewhere got nominated yeah. maybe in this performance. Because, yeah. like I said, he's one of my favorites. He's great at this. And it's a, it's a really great sort of, I mean like I don't think he was anywhere near an actual Oscar nomination just for one this is already a year when they're nominating like three out of the five performances are playing gangsters uh, yeah and he's just doing his I mean it, Diane Ladd is off the rails but he's really off the rails in this performance yeah. not something that voters are going to look at and be like that's that is uh on par with Al Pacino in Dick Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that was ever going to happen, but in a just world, it should have. Like, I mean, again, he's, he, I love him, but I think Defoe should have, like, so many 
so many more nominations than the four. Yeah, and 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 definitely have already an Oscar. <laughs> oh, oh, like out of his four nominations, I there's only two movies that he's been up against that I haven't seen. I haven't seen uh, Room at the Top or All the Money in the World, uh, but I would give him an Oscar four times out of four. Genuinely, yeah. my vote <laughs> out of the out of the lineups that he's been nominated for, he's my vote all four years. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, again, I love the guy. Great actor. But yeah, man, this would have been a very worthy nomination for him. Like we said, he sh- he doesn't show up until the very end. But you come away from this movie, and he's one of yeah. Like, he has last- he has a big presence in it. It's one of these sort of lasting images and last like it sticks with you. It haunts you. It is <laughs> creepy and gross and terrifying. And in the David Lynch sort of way, kind of funny in a couple moments. Yeah. A little bit like, I can't help but laugh at the sort of weird, stilted nature of this performance, but that's the point of it. It's, it's really great. It got an MTV Music Video Award for Best Video for a Film for the Chris Isaac Music Video for Wicked Game. <laughs> uh, yeah, this wasn't really necessarily expect i mean like we said literally was not expected to get the oscar nomination to the point that they weren't prepared for it to even be a nominee but yeah it's interesting to uh, to look at how this movie sort of showed up a couple times uh just here and there it, i mean it got a globe nomination it got a bafta nomination. Yeah. it still was being seen by people and voted for by people even despite yeah uh, yeah, yeah, even if it was kind of receiving uh, a mixed reception. Yeah. Do we want to talk about David Lynch in general at the Oscars? We didn't talk. We didn't really talk about him at all when we were talking about the rest of the movie. But this is a very well directed. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's. I mean, uh, there there's this thing that I uh, I didn't talk about, which is this. Uh, sort of this image that is recurrent throughout the film, which is images of uh, fire, like matches lighting up the cigarettes. Uh, and I think that uh, is very, um, it, it's a very illustrative image of like the, the, the image, the message of the film. And like uh, it's the uh, film has sort of this, uh, fire within it, like a, uh, like it's about uh, this fire. If, at least for me, it represents the sort of can represent uh, both the passion of Lola and Taylor's love, and but also the violence and destruction that is uh, all around them and haunting them. Uh, and I think that. Um, all that recurrent image is uh, very effective and it's very, uh, uh, I think David Lynch has a lot of that of having these sort of recurrent things to punctuate the, the films and the, the message of the films. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, there's a lot of little tiny sort of Lynchisms. Uh, yeah. This movie. Like, I, like I mentioned earlier, where there's, the old guy that just shows up at the bar and is like pigeons or well 
pigeons spread disease. Or yeah, whatever. very like yeah, the, modulated. Yeah, it's, it, that's a completely. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's really funny. It just happens. There's there's no reason. Yeah. Uh, it's just that's just how it is in the David Lynch yeah. universe. But yeah, it's it's those things that like don't really have a reason to be, but it's like. It's natural in these films. They like uh, you sort of don't question it. <laughs> like uh, they appear it, and it's like okay, it's a weird character with a weird voice and uh, or uh, quirky face, uh, uh, or like uh, those those like when they're in um, that motel, the, all those. Uh, uh, the Jack Nance and yeah. uh, the, uh, the, those characters are, are all very uh, David Lynch. They yeah. have David Lynch written all over them. Yeah, and there's the there's the sequence where Laura Dern is talking about her cousin Jingle Dell. Uh, yeah, this cousin is like kind of goes off the rails and starts putting cockroaches yeah. in his underwear and thinks that alien. <laughs> Black gloves are gonna come get him. It doesn't have any bearing on the plot. Yeah. Yet, uh, you see Crispin Glover so, kind of freak out in this sort of flashback for no reason for like two minutes. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a very like uh, it doesn't have anything to do with anything in the film, but it's like <laughs> it's yeah. uh, a. <laughs> it's great. Uh, but David yeah. Lynch has a very interesting sort of relationship with what I'm talking about here on this podcast and the sort of general concept of there being a lone nomination for a movie. Because, so Eraserhead obviously is not going to get any Oscar nominations. That's yeah. the kind of movie that gets Oscar nominations. But his yeah. movie is The Elephant Man. And so I'm going to be on a podcast later this month called The Oscar Didn't Go To, uh, hmm. about best picture nominees that didn't win any Oscars at all. So I'm going to be talking about the elephant man. So you'll get my thoughts on that later this month, but the elephant man gets like eight nominations and it's, it's like a real sort of career boost for David Lynch uh, sort of pushes him into the mainstream. He gets his best director nomination uh, from there. He yeah. Does- I, I remember checking uh, like uh, what it was nominated for. Like I, I had the, this image of like the Academy not really paying attention to David Lynch and then seeing like this movie that has like a whole bunch of nominations and, and yeah. it's really surprising. But then, so from there on out, so Dune is his next movie and that gets yeah. like a sound nomination. And yeah. so current tally, nine nominations, three movies. His next movie, Blue Velvet, gets a Best Director nomination for David Lynch and nothing else. So one yeah. more movie that gets one nomination and nothing else. After that, Wild at Heart. Nominated for Diane Ladd, nothing else. After that, Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, nothing. Uh, Lost Highway, nothing. The Straight Story, nominated for Richard, Richard Farnsworth and nothing else. After that, Mulholland Drive, nominated again for Best Director for David Lynch and nothing else. And then Inland Empire gets nothing. So for a a director that seems so far out from what the Oscars would ever vote for, 
Like he's, you look, you think of David Lynch and you think, oh, that's a guy that probably the Oscars just passed him by. He's too cool for them, too weird for them. He's made 10 movies and six out of 10 have gotten Oscar nominations and five yeah. out of six got one Oscar nomination. Yeah. A very strange little, uh, little. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, and it's interesting that uh, two of those times it was literally just him for best director. <laughs> it's so strange. That's only happened. Like, I mean, I'm talking about this concept for this podcast as a niche. There's like 200 some actors that were the only nomination for their movie for directing it's only happened 12 times and two yeah. of the 12 were david lynch yeah very and, and it's uh, and uh, uh i remember uh, reading about when he was nominated for mulholland drive um that he he didn't think he was going to be nominated but uh, i think someone uh had told him that he could be nominated and he didn't believe it. And then he was really surprised when the nominations were announced and he was nominated. So uh, I guess he sort of also has this idea that the Academy doesn't really pay attention to him. (laughs) All of these movies, aside from Elephant Man, like very well could have been multiple nominations like blue velvet could have very easily shown up for dennis hopper and screenplay and cinematography and editing and all this stuff straight story again could like had potential to show up for him or screenplay yeah especially for the angelo battlementi score i remember that was like or I've read that like that was definitely in contention. Maybe got a globe. Yeah, I think I think it was nominated for the Golden Globes. I'm not yeah. sure. And like this movie, like we said, I mean, it wasn't as big of a showing, but it got BAFTA and Indie Spirits. It won the Palm Door. He's a Palm yeah. Door director. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a very strange little uh, relationship with the Oscars that. You can't say for uh, most directors that have that very particular type of will they, won't they type thing. And it's kind of a shame that like, I mean, he has a new project that was maybe a TV show and maybe for Netflix, but I think it's not with Netflix anymore. And I don't know if it's still happening, the Mysteria project. But like, David Lynch, come back to us, do more. I mean, I'm glad that we get his daily sort of weather updates on YouTube. Yeah. Friday again. Um, Yeah. David Lynch, make another movie. I know he's talked about it. He's not like completely retired after Inland Empire. It's just, he's been, he's been making his art. He has a, like a eight year old daughter that he's, you know, being a father to, which is kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I hope he gets to make at least one more movie. I remember that, uh, in in the Inland Empire, he sort of is a personal campaign for Laura Dern. Yeah, <laughs> talk about great Oscar campaigns. Uh, for your consideration, Laura Dern, he's sitting out there on a lawn with a megaphone and a cow and a big yeah. has Laura Dern on it. Yeah. Oh, that would have been a great. Laura Dern would have been a great nomination for Inland Empire. Yeah, that's a that's yeah. a great. I I, I really love. Uh, that movie and Laura Dern's performance in it, uh, it would have been great if she had been nominated. I don't think she ever would have come close for it. But like we've seen, 
I mean, I don't think if we uh, if she had if Diane Ladd hadn't gotten this nomination, I don't necessarily think I would have believed that she would have been in conversation even with the Globe nomination. It would have been yeah. Oh, that's a fluke. There's no way they were gonna gonna nominate this weird ass performance from this yeah. David Lynch movie. Yeah. And here we are talking about it right now. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's such a. Uh, I, I think that uh, uh, the Academy doesn't really go for these wild uh, camp really uh, it's amazing and surprising that, that it happened yeah I, I'm really above all else I'm thankful that this nomination happened just because of yeah. how weird and cool it is and it shows yeah. every once in a while the Oscars can be weird and cool and not yeah. for you know Dances with Wolves five times. <laughs> yeah, the historical epic. And... <laughs> and you want to talk about cool, weird performances. Yeah. Goldberg and Ghost is the winner, and that's an awesome, yeah. fun little supernatural. I mean, the movie itself isn't necessarily great. It doesn't all hold up, but Whoopi is fantastic in that movie. Yeah. That's a, that's a worthy winner if there ever was one. Yeah. Yeah, that's... There's kind of not a whole lot else to talk about. We've kind of, you know, done the whole conversation to have. We talked about spaghetti dinners. We talked <laughs> about lipstick faces. We talked about the whole uh, the whole shebang. So yeah, let's get into our final uh, segment, our final thoughts. So, in your fantasy world, where you get to pick all of the nominees, you don't have to worry about campaigns. You don't have to worry about studios that won't campaign for you, so you have to send out your own screener. <laughs> What nominations would you have given Wild at Heart? I mean, uh, I, I love the movie, so I definitely would have given it Best Picture. And Best Director, it's really uh, well-directed. And definitely, like, I would have given it all the performances uh, categories, the performance categories, like... Uh, Nicholas Cage, Laura Dern, Dan Ladd, Willem Dafoe. Uh, and then uh, the cinematography also. Uh, I like it. And maybe the adapted screenplay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, because it's, it's, uh, it's a really interesting story. And I think it's uh, uh, the way that... David Lynch sort of uh, takes the story uh, and turns it into something that is very him. <laughs> um, and uh, maybe also the sound. Uh, and I don't remember if uh, this time they divided between sound design, uh, sound uh, mixing, and sound. Uh, uh, editing. I don't. <laughs> I think they had like a five field uh, sound, just like regular sound, and then three yeah. and sound effects editing or whatever. Weird, weird sound category. The way they did it. Uh, yeah, no, those are all very worthy nominations. Yeah. I also think like we touched on it a little bit with the with the jacket, but co- costume design. The costume yeah. Really good. <laughs> Like, and, and the the production design is also yeah. uh, noteworthy. 
I mean, this easily could have been like nominated everywhere you can. The battle yeah. of war in this is really. Uh, I mean, the, the in in terms of uh, production design, the like the whole uh, uh, Marietta's house and the uh, Mr. Reindeer's uh, uh, place, and that's those weird places of the 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 that motel and all that. It's <laughs> the whole like bad tuna sort of yeah. <laughs> hotel courtyard place that they have. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, the fact that in the sort of the GQ or Vanity Fair or whatever, the, the video where Willem Dafoe is talking about this performance of his and the sort of experience of being on set, the fact that he brings up that Lynch brought out the costume and was like, here you go, this is your character. Like, it's really good. Like, that's a sign of really effective costume design that you can encapsulate a full character. And like Defoe mentions that like because of that costuming and because of those teeth and the way that that sort of shaped the character, that Bobby Peru is one of the most fully realized characters of his entire career. That like that's a character that he most fully grasped entirely. And like in its full and the fact that you can do that with just costumes and dentures like that that's yeah. a real testament to some really good costume design i think yeah. and there's also there's the snakeskin jacket there's all of the like there's uh, uh laura dern's uh, uh dresses they're all yeah. really all amazing dresses <laughs> and, like sort of tight tights that show off her legs and like all those yeah like, and like there's all the dresses that marietta has and yeah of the weird hench people and yeah. like it's it's a really good it's a really well designed movie. Uh, yeah. Top to bottom, every every design element comes together in the sort of David Lynch way of like a little bit off kilter, a little bit weird, but like it serves the purpose of really like in this lightly off reality that this movie takes place in. And from the beginning, you're like, okay. This isn't the real world, but it's a world <laughs> I understand. It's a world that I get yeah. because of the look. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of a weird uh, mirror at uh, the violence of the world and the violence in America. Exactly. I think that'll do it for our conversation. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. This, this was great. And thank you for inviting me. It was a yeah. real honor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so where can the people find you? Do you, do you have any uh, social media you want to plug for people? Oh, yeah. Uh, follow me on Instagram, uh, uh, on Talks Cinema. Uh, it's, uh, I write reviews and uh, write about uh, cinema in general. Uh, and you can also uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I I use Twitter as more like a, a, um, to write stuff, <laughs> and sometimes I, I don't. In this, in Instagram, I write only in English, and to Twitter sometimes I write things in Portuguese. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's where where you can find me. And you can follow the show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms, and on Instagram at the Lone Acting Nominees. 
that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening.